Hi, all. Thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we welcome Kara Hill, who is the Director of Integrated Healthcare Initiative at Mental Health America of Greater Houston. Thanks so much for being here today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. We are happy to talk to you and hear about the work that you were doing to integrate the behavioral health services into the primary care model. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's so important and what success you've been seeing with this? Sure. So what we would say is that our vision is that the standard delivery of care is integrated health care. And so as we know now, if when you see your primary care provider, you come over here. And if you so choose, you may see a behavioral health provider way over here and never will the two meet or talk or share information about you or take care of you together. And our last time I checked, my head was connected to my body. My mind and body are all connected in one. And so we work with practices, with healthcare systems, with payers um, and providers to transform the healthcare system so that not just we're providing behavioral health and mental health and um, primary care together in the same clinic, but that we're working all together as a team to address what comes up during a primary care visit, whether it be physical health, behavioral health, substance use, or mental health. And so that is really the premise of our work. And we're able to see our practices, our physicians, um, our behavioral health providers transform the way they're providing care to patients to treat the whole body, mind, and body as one. You said that this is really important because typically if people go see a licensed therapist or a psychiatrist, they have an assessment and then they typically only visit one more time. So what is the success that you're seeing with people having better follow through or better acceptance of this treatment when it's integrated? Well, you know, when you see your primary care provider, you may see that person once a year, or you may see that person several times a year, right? And your behavioral health provider is then right there in the office so that they can also be the person that you see as a part of the team when when you see your primary care provider. So the, the treatment is readily available at your primary care visit. But here's the other thing. When a behavioral health provider does an intervention in a primary care visit, they are trained to give you tools and strategies to take home for functional improvement. So they will give you strategies and sometimes one to two visits based on that one problem is all that's necessary for most of the general population. Um, So we can start to incorporate brief interventions, visits that behavioral health providers do as a part of the primary care visit that really reduces the stigma. So people that are in the waiting room um, don't have this extra stigma of I'm going to see a therapist. Um, and 
if they need something more than just short-term and brief during the primary care visit, they have some level of comfort now seeing a provider and they can get a better um, referral and they're more likely to follow up with um, behavioral health out in the community. But again, the majority of the population seen in primary care doesn't need something so extensive and intense when it's done during a primary care visit, um, it can address most of our needs. So interesting, Kara. It, it seems that the essence of what you're describing is that the visit is happening at the same time together, if I'm getting it right. Because I know there's a few variants of this and audience may remember we've covered some of this last year, but if it's together, so then my question is, is it gonna take more time to get it done, how are you actually getting these two really critical, valuable resources in the room together? Is it the best use of each of their times? Is it taking more time for them collectively? And are they getting both of them paid well enough to be able to make that happen? So those are all really big and really good questions, right? And um, there's a lot of research and study that shows that actually when adding a behavioral health provider as a part of the primary care visit, a physician is able to operate faster. So they're able to just focus on the things that they're good at focusing on when it comes to physical health. Um, and they're able to hand off those other behavior things um, to a behavioral health provider. So physicians can operate quicker and it doesn't happen exactly at the same time. They're not both in the room at the same time, but um, the behavioral health can, provider can go in right before or right after the physician. How many times do we get called back to an exam room and yet we're still waiting for another 25 minutes, right? Um, that's when a behavioral health provider can go in before. Um, if that person and the physician have talked about like, hey, this is what I'm seeing in this patient, um, the behavioral health provider can go in before while you're waiting for the physician. So it, it's going to be able to be way more accessible and it doesn't have to extend the time of the visit. Very helpful. And sometimes, even if it does extend the time of the visit, the need of the frequency of even primary care visits goes way down um, because you're addressing some behaviors that might affect your health outcomes. Yeah, it's really intriguing. And, and I, I have so many more questions that are coming off of that. But what one additional question that comes up is, are there just enough, are there enough of any kind of these physicians? We, we often talk about shortages of physicians in general, but certainly we talk about a lot of shortages in the behavioral health space. So are there just enough behavioral health clinicians to be able to provide this service? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, there's not enough trained licensed providers. So in order to get paid for it, like the question that you asked, it needs to be a psychologist, a licensed clinical social worker, LPC, or LMFT. And so um, there isn't enough training out there. And so what we're doing is developing a training that can be brought into the community for existing licensed providers so that they can learn how to operate in a medical setting 
at a faster pace. And once we have that training in place, then our providers actually will have an increase in access and availability to the patient population. Because a traditional mental health provider is going to see about six patients in a day. And in a medical setting, they can go eight to 10 patients, maybe even up to 12 patients in a day. So because of the brief interventions and the brief way that they can operate in a medical setting, we're going to see an increase in access. Are there scenarios where the patients, even in the setting, in integrated setting, where they're not interested in seeing behavioral health? And is it something that they can opt out of? Or is it something that if this is integrated, they're going to see both providers regardless? Um, no, it's not something that they're going to see both, um, both providers regardless. So your healthy patients that are just coming in for a physical or um, that are acute, right? Like if they have acute condition, like an ear infection, probably aren't going to need to see a behavioral health provider. Um, so we would say that there needs to be one behavioral health provider for every four primary care providers in an office. So about 20% of the patient population um, is going to be eligible or really going to see that behavioral health provider in a medical setting. I found it intriguing, Kara, uh, uh, just kind of going back to something you were talking about off the air when, before we started, as, as to the challenges for both the primary care physician side and the behavioral health physician side, because neither one of them really understands the other space. And that's just, you know, was very helpful. Again, many of our audience members may not understand that. So maybe you could unpack that a little bit for us. What exactly is, makes people so nervous about stepping on the other person's toes? And how, are you, how do you help them come to terms with what they're trying to do in their, in their roles? Right, so when physicians get trained, the um, primary way they get exposed to mental health and behavioral health is they get thrown on a psychiatric unit and they have to do a rotation on a psychiatric unit. That's inpatient where people are usually off meds and um, the reason they're in an inpatient psychiatric unit because they may be um, pretty significant and severe. That's like treating, te that's like teaching a primary care provider about diabetes by throwing them on a med surge floor where people are getting um, things amputated or going blind because of diabetes. That's terrifying. Um, and the most, the majority of the population, um, mental health doesn't mean inpatient psychiatry, right? Um, and that's really why it terrifies most of us because we think that mental health means um, something really significant and really severe. And so it can be scary. And what we're seeing is that primary care is the de facto place where mental health is being taken care of. We just need to support our physicians and let them feel supported and more comfortable. So two things really happen in integrated behavioral health for the physician. One, we would say that um, a primary care provider needs some small training, like a mini fellowship. And so we partner with an organization that does mini fellowships for physicians to help them identify, um, manage, treat, 
diagnose common mental health conditions that they're going to see in the primary care office every day. And then the other thing that happens for a primary care provider is our behavioral health providers within primary care, their primary customer is the physician. So they're helping the physician expand their knowledge. They're supporting the physician in their decision-making when it comes to behavioral health. Um, so having a behavioral health provider on site really provides a lot of comfort to the physician. When it's the behavioral health provider, they need to understand how to operate in a medical setting, and they need to understand um, some of the things that they're allowed to document in the chart. There's usually a fear of different types of confidentiality and privacy for PCPs than it is for behavioral health providers. So we need to make sure that we set up our infrastructure within the system so that our behavioral health providers can feel comfortable with what they're charting in the, with, when, with what they're putting in the charts and also feel comfortable with sharing what's going on with a patient with the primary care provider. Whenever you're working with new health systems or clinics to expand this care and get this implemented, what are some of the common fears that you hear from people? And then what do they say once they're maybe three to six months into this? What's the, you know, the initial reaction, the implementation, and then the, oh, wow, I didn't realize. Yeah. So the initial reaction is really a lot around team-based care. And the time needed to set aside to meet with your team as the primary care provider and the behavioral health provider are working together. You need team meetings. You need to plan the day. Um, you need to talk about the patients before they come in to find out who might need an intervention by a behavioral health provider. That takes time. And physicians don't like to be taken out of clinic, right? They want to be in there seeing patients. That's where their revenue is. And that's what they're there for, right? Um, so there's generally a lot of fear and pushback there on getting the workflow and taking up too much time and it's going to slow me down. Yes, it's important. Um, and the liability, I think, is what we hear a lot from providers. Um, six to eight months into it, if it's going well and they're really um, adhering to the efficacy of the uh, model, they say it's the best thing that physicians say is the best thing that happened to their practice and their patient. It gives them such ease and comfort. It allows them to operate faster. They love having the behavioral health provider supporting the entire team and the patients and patients love it too. That was going to actually be one of my questions, which I think you partly answered, but maybe if we can keep going on that track, which is, you, the, the point you opened up with earlier, you're, you're in the business of transforming these organizations. And so how do we know that the transformation has happened? And I think some of the points you just made sound like what, what the answer is, but are there other specific metrics that you look for at which point you can say, you know what, this organization has now gotten it and has you know, reached that critical point? Yeah, so there are national measures. Um, Oftentimes, people use the Center for Integrated Health Solutions. They have a self-assessment tool that practices can use. Um, the problem with the tool is oftentimes people don't understand the complexity of integrated behavioral health, so they'll rank themselves really high on that self-assessment tool. Yes, of course, we communicate. Yes, of course, we have team-based care. 
Um, and then they go through some of our trainings and they're like, oh, that's what that means. You know, we're not quite doing that. So initially their, their scale will go down. And then as we equip them to do team-based care, or to have um, brief interventions and immediate referral to a behavioral health provider right in the primary care office, then their scores go up and go higher than what they were previously. So there is an assessment tool. It's really wise for practices to not just do those internally, but have someone external like us come in and, and do an external assessment, not to, to get you, but to show where there are improvements that need to happen. And it's really around communication. It's about collaboration on care. It's about um, team meetings and that the patient gets to experience a one-stop shop where they're not ha having to come back for multiple things at different dates and times. Um, so uh, when you think about like the triple aim or the quadruple aim, um, it really hits the mark on all of those as well. And patient satisfaction and provider satisfaction goes up significantly when integrated behavioral health is implemented well within a primary care visit. You know, this may be something more new, which IHI is also coming out with, which is about the quintuple aim, and that's saying, hey, health equity has got to be one of the critical features as well, not just the cost dynamic and the patient experience dynamic, population health, and then the provider burnout, clinician burnout piece that was the quadruple aim. In the quintuple aim, they're saying health equity needs to be core and uh, integrated into the mission of the organizations. So as you had brought that up, I was just wondering, how, how, how do you take health equity into account for the, these you know, very difficult populations? Yeah, so there's a few ways that integrated behavioral health specifically targets health equity. Um, they use something called pathways, clinical pathways to target certain uh, diseases or disease processes to ensure that a behavioral health provider has um, an intervention with those specific patients. And what we would, what we do with our practices is tell practices to divide that population by race and ethnicity so that you can see it, you know, are you having a certain subpopulation that's struggling more with having improved health outcomes? It's time to target that population and figure out how do you provide better care to those patients um, so that their health outcomes improve. So, so this is a definitely a population-based um, approach. Um, the other thing that we're doing is um, we rece recently received money from the CDC to develop our behavioral health provider training with that equity focus um, so that we're ensuring that providers from those more vulnerable communities get trained and placed back in those communities and that our training has that health equity focus. As somebody who's working in a mental health organization, and now you're seeing great successes within this program that you're doing, what is that like for you to, to see these people getting the help that they need? What is personally fulfilling to you? Why, why it's so important and matters to you? Sure. I think that's a great question. And, you know, I, not only personally do I um, struggle or overcome 
anxiety and depression overcome on the most days. Um, I, my son has anxiety. And when I think about him going to his primary care office and he has anxiety seeing the doctor, um, how a behavioral health provider can help address that anxiety in the middle of the primary care visit. Um, and as all of us probably know someone or, or, or know someone who knows someone that has attempted or died by suicide, um, it's huge, right? And it's only, unfortunately, the struggle is increasing now because of aftermaths from the pandemic. Um, and the statistics show that, in, that people that either attempt suicide or die by suicide see their primary care provider three weeks prior to that at a much higher rate. So for me, allowing patients to get what they need when they need it so that we can prevent crisis for families is huge. And allowing um, our, you know, our kids, our loved ones getting the care that they need so that families can be stable, I'm hugely passionate about because I need that for my family too. Carol, what you're saying is so powerful. I just, I just thought, that, again, on the basis of what you just shared, your powerful you know, personal journey with this as well, if there's someone listening to this and they feel that they want this kind of a service, is there a way that a, a, a patient, a consumer, can actually find out who offers this in their community and then look it up and then get this kind of integrated care? How, what can the average consumer do to try to access this kind of service? You know, I think it would depend on the population, right? So if if you're covered by private insurance, by employer-based insurance, I would say you want to talk to your employer. Um, you know, we work with various business coalitions on health, and they're really working with employers to try to um, teach them how they can expand their coverage and identify providers that do this. So I would say start with your um, employer and your insurance company um, because they should know who provides this service more than anyone. Um, if you're on any safety net healthcare like Medicare or Medicaid, um, definitely talk to your insurance company there as well. Um, there's not, unfortunately, an easy way to look up by physician who offers this. But the first thing you should do is expect from your physician to ask you some questions about, have you felt down in the last two weeks? Have you felt like not getting out of bed in the last two weeks? Um, these are standard best practices that physicians should be doing anyway. Um, so check with your physician. Make sure they're asking you these questions. Um, and remember, you're a consumer, so you can shop around and look for the right kind of provider that best suits your needs. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this conversation. It was really great to hear about how you guys are working to get all of the care for these patients that they need in a, an accessible and easy way for them so that it's really making an impact. So thank you so much for being here and sharing. Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And thank you all for watching. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kara.